Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare 360, a podcast by Beth Israel Leahy Health. Uh, I am Rob Fields. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer here at the ILH, and I'm particularly excited today to be joined by one of my closest friends on the planet for over 30 years, uh, Steve Fitzpatrick, who both ended up in healthcare together in, in, in parallel tracks um, by accident. But Steve, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be here. So, Steve, if you could tell us a little bit about your title and your role uh, at the American Association of Medical Colleges and a little bit about your path or what you're working on these days generally, we'll get into the specific topic. That sounds great. So, at the Association of American Medical Colleges, I'm our Senior Director for Strategic Business Solutions, which means I typically work across our service programs, whether that's AMCAS, ARIS, and others, to try and think strategically about maybe where we should be in the next five to ten years. I'm also one of our leaders of our strategic plan where I'm specifically tasked with trying to help the learner as they progress through the continuum of medical education to ensure that they're better supported. And especially when we look at learners from historically excluded communities to make sure that they receive the support and help that they need so that we can diversify the physician workforce. That's a lot of what I'm working on today is trying to think a little bit about, you know, how do we diversify that workforce when it's so important to equitable care and it's so important just in its own right also. And in the midst of a climate um, that's challenging our ability to do so effectively. For sure. And we'll absolutely dive into that. The listeners of this podcast will be physicians that are very familiar with some of the services from the customer end of what, well, maybe a different time we can talk about who the customer is, but at least one of the customers for some of the services you provide. But I don't know that everyone is completely familiar with what the AAMC does globally. It's more than just the services I think the physicians are. Can you give like two minutes on like big picture how the AAMC views itself in the industry? Absolutely. First, you know, the AMC has a lot of constituencies. Primary among them, of course, are teaching hospitals, medical schools. Our mission is really more global than that. It's about the care of all, because that's what really most matters to us, is trying to ensure that we can get better outcomes for the entire population. If your listeners are really curious, they might also check out our Center for Health Justice, led by a colleague of mine named Phil Alberti, uh, that do a lot of work in the space that you're talking about often. Awesome. Thank you. You know, Steve, originally when I thought that we should do a podcast together, the idea behind what we're trying to do here is address some of the challenges and difficulties in healthcare and really dive into them via conversation with different leaders within BILH, but also across the industry. And originally, my thought was, obviously, the physician workforce has particular challenges with basic supply and demand, which is very parallel in nursing and literally in every other part of the supply chain. And then since we first started talking about doing this, there was a decision that affected uh, affirmative action in the U.S. and its impact not only on undergraduate and graduate colleges, but similarly in medical education. And obviously it touches a lot of what you work on and some of the stated goals that you have in your portfolio strategically. I heard some comments from your CEO in terms of his reaction to the Supreme Court decisions, but I'm wondering first about your reaction in the context of your work, maybe partially as a human also and as a citizen of the U.S., but in the context of your work and how you're, you're starting to get your head around how to react to it. I think that makes great sense, and I'm glad you got to see David Scorton uh, talk about this because he speaks really effectively about how linked diversity in the student populations and student bodies is to health equity and to population health. So I'm glad you got to hear him talk a little bit about it. You know, my first reaction as a human was very similar to my first reaction 
as a representative of the AMC, which is, you know, we'd argued vehemently against this happening. We'd written a brief to the court recommending that they preserve our ability to consider racial categories as part of the admissions of process because it was one important lever in trying to achieve a more diverse student body. And ultimately, they went in the other direction. I personally think that in doing this, there are a couple of key mistakes there. I think the Supreme Court, by thinking about what they're considering to be race neutrality, it's the equivalent of looking right into the center of a waterfall and saying that the water in that spot should be able to move in any direction that it wants, regardless of gravity, regardless of the entire system of that waterfall dragging that downward. And so it's really a myth. It's not a real thing. There are some people out there who are calling race neutral the new separate but equal because it's such a mythology, because it's so impossible that when you remove the consideration of racial categories, you're not removing race from consideration. Mm -hmm. This is a difficult job we've had to diversify the physician workforce, even when using those strategies. In 2019, only 7.3 of advanced practice registered nurses, 5.2% of physicians, 4.4% of dentists identified as Black, even though 12.1% of the working age population identifies as Black. Hispanic people make up 18.2% of the working age population, but represent only 5.5% of advanced registered nurses, 6.9% of physicians, and 5.7% mm. of dentists. And those are just a couple of examples. So this isn't something that we were doing perfectly and getting exactly the results we needed, even right. with this tool. So taking right. that tool away just makes it further difficult. Now, I don't want to sound hopeless about it because I don't feel at all hopeless about it. We are going to diversify the physician workforce because it really is critical to getting the health outcomes that we want. Can we dig on that hypothesis a bit? I think that certainly working in population health for a long time, and even just as a primary care physician, and you know, when Andy and I started our practice many years ago, it was built around the idea of cultural competency. We didn't use that phrase back then, but we named it a specific way that folks could say it in English and Spanish. We hired bilingual staff. I am certain in my N of one example that it created an environment that made it more accessible to populations that were historically disenfranchised because they felt comfortable there. But I know that's not an isolated example. I've been exposed to lots of other different systems across the country, hundreds of examples where what is now, we use the phrase of culturally competent care, has shown impact. Is that something that the AAMC has looked at objectively and its impact in that informed the subsequent goal operationally? Is that how that, that kind of works? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I remember your history of doing that. It was really exciting to watch you establishing that practice and trying to create that expectation and that level of care for that population. I learned a lot from you watching you go through that. That was really exciting. And yeah, we have absolutely studied this. So let me talk about a couple of things. Let me talk a little bit about the data that we've looked at. And then let me talk a little bit about how imperfect as it is, we try to think about cultural competence, cultural humility, so that we can make sure that we are selecting the most qualified physician workforce. So yeah, we've studied a lot about health outcomes in this space. So we know that a high-risk Black infant is half as likely to die when cared for by a racially diverse care team. We know that in counties with Black primary care physicians, Black individuals experience higher life expectancy and lower mortality rates than in counties without Black primary care physicians, even if they aren't cared for by those physicians. We know that medical professionals who are themselves underrepresented in medicine are more likely to practice in underserved areas 
or for underserved populations. And we know that trust goes up when people have physicians who look like them, speak the language they speak, or otherwise can demonstrate cultural competence. It's that important. So one of the things that we try to look at is how do we determine what makes someone ready for medical school or qualified for medical school and build that in. So when we have kind of cascading competencies that come from, you know, what are the outcomes we want? What are the physicians, how they should be practicing care? And they stretch down all the way into admissions so that we can, they can inform what we test on the MCAT for one subset of competencies. Mm -hmm. And then in other things, like we have a situational judgment test called preview that helps us think about other competencies, one of which is cultural humility to try and assess the readiness of individuals going to medical school. And a great thing about preview is that it also has lower subgroup differences than a lot of assessments out there, which means that we don't have the risk of introducing another assessment that's Mm -hmm. going to be problematic in other ways. So obviously the process has changed from the time that many of us applied to medical school. I do remember sitting uh, sitting in a in an apartment with you with your brother word processor. I think. Yeah, I that's exactly right. Trying to fill out MCAS application. That's uh, right. Probably already the MCAS application when I first started working at the AMC. Right. Yeah. No, I was definitely trying to line up the the grid lines on the paper MCAS application to my word processor. Yeah, that was a. It was a good time. How have yeah? Uh, I hope that's not bad history to bring up. No, 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 <laughs> just a little scarring. <laughs> How have the <laughs> medical schools responded to the, for lack of a better phrase, sort of newer or alternative methods of evaluation to capture these other competencies? You know, when we look back through the literature, most of these things are things that people have wanted to be able to assess in admissions since the '60s, since our organization first came in into existence. And how well we are able to assess them is what's changing over time. So people have always wanted to know that a physician is going to be able to sit down with a patient and earn trust. We have always wanted to be able to sense some of those things, you know, whether it's integrity, ethics. So those are things we've always sort of wanted to know um, in an admissions process. And many of them were just, one, hard to tell, specifically hard to tell early in the admissions process Mm -hmm. by the time a school is into that first screening process where they're really taking a lot of people out from consideration. Mm -hmm. And so medical schools are excited about it. They've adopted uh, situational judgment tests at a pretty high rate, are exploring their own ways to try to better understand what students are bringing to the table. So across the board, I think, you know, these competencies are making it into consideration. Of course, there's some variability across medical schools, but the vast majority are moving in that direction. And I know that you know, and maybe we can talk at a different time about all of those other competencies, because I think that's a whole interesting part of the process that's changed. As you mentioned, it was always true that trusting relationships were an important part of medicine and that empathy was an important characteristic, but was not objectively part of the evaluation process until more recently, as you described. That's also super interesting. But then expanding that now to cultural competency right, and creating a diverse workforce, I would imagine that this Supreme Court decision and its impacts then handicaps you a little bit in terms of, if we say that's an added value that we want to bring to the physician workforce as AMCAS, as AAMC, you've now lost an important tool in creating that because, as you said before, it's almost like a dose response. When you do these things, better care happens. So how do you get your head around the new handicap you've got in achieving the goal that you're trying to achieve? Well, you know, we can't pretend that we didn't know that this was a possibility. And 
as I said before, you know, one doesn't want to be hopeless because one tool has been taken away because the, the outcome is so important. So the first thing I think we remind ourselves often is that the future we want is reasonable. You know, right now, just as a few examples, black and Hispanic children with heart conditions are more likely to die than their white counterparts. Black men are twice as likely to die of prostate cancer as compared to white men. A black mother is more than three times as likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than a white mother. Those are unacceptable health outcomes. Absolutely. And it's reasonable of mm -hmm. us. It's reasonable of us to want a future in which that care is equal. And we believe that a critical strategy in doing so is diversifying the physician workforce. That's because one, as we noted earlier, people do have a greater trust in their physician when that physician looks like them, can speak their language, et cetera. And also we know importantly that that education, being educated with people from different backgrounds, with different life experiences, changes you as a practitioner of medicine, mm -hmm. you learn just from being an important cohort. As, as Dr. Swerden often talks about, you know, you learn a lot from your faculty member, but you're also learning a lot from your peers in medical school. So when you expand that cohort to become more diverse, you learn from and about people, situations, and experiences that you just wouldn't otherwise know. I also want to note that we have a great history in medical school of holistic review already. Most, if not all, medical schools are practicing holistic review, wherein what they do is they create a very specific admission strategy based on the mission of that medical school. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you start creating individualized review, applicant by applicant, of what they bring to their table, but what their experiences are, what their history is, then you consider quite a lot. We try to remember that the Supreme Court ruled out a few things, but they didn't rule out everything. There's a lot that we can continue to consider. If those experiences have influenced the student, the student is still free to write about their race-based experiences. And we can still look at socioeconomic status. We can mm -hmm. still look at what languages were spoken in the home. We can still look at the contextualization of academic success. You know, for example, what does your GPA look like in the context of other people from your school, from your zip code? And so there's really a lot of information that we can continue to look at. But I think the most important thing is that we're not going to let go. We know that this is critical to driving better health outcomes. So we have to find a way. And that's the imperative. I've asked you the response from medical schools. I haven't asked you yet about any input or response or comments you've received from applicants or maybe even you know, current student body of uh, the medical schools. Has that come about at all or have you, what kind of feedback are you getting? Well, we've talked with students, with residents, with, you know, pre-medical students and others in everything that we do to try and collect information. What I'd say right now is that everyone is sort of in reaction mode, even pre-health advisors who are working with their students to oh, try sure. and prepare them. And so what we have is a change and change is stressful. So what we want to do is we want to provide the messages that are as calming and realistic as possible about what they can and can't do. As you also know that for some reason, some of these issues are made a little bit political. And so, you know, who feels what about these issues might vary depending on the information they receive. But the issue in front of us isn't political at all. It really is, you know, can we provide adequate care to everyone who needs it? And the student bodies that we interact with, you know, they want us to find ways to do this. You know, nobody loves new assessments <laughs> to be put in front of them. 
but we get pretty good feedback about our preview assessment and how it's doing and how well they think it helps us predict a wider set of competencies in admissions. We know that there are students who are nervous about how do they answer some questions following the decision of the Supreme Court. So in general, we're not very far out from that decision, right? We are still everyone trying to figure out what it means and how to carve out the space and what the, what's been allowed and what's been disallowed and how individual medical school processes fit into that. Right. Do you, and maybe this may be other people in the organization, but how do you work with other professional groups that are doing assessments like in nursing, for example? Or, I mean, because it's not just the physicians. Obviously, that's an important part, but it's not the only part. And I'm curious if I'm sure others are trying to figure out how to collaborate in some way to address this challenge. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of my role is internal focus, so I can't answer every part of that question. I know when it comes to assessments, we try to learn from each other. We try to make sure that we're that we're learning best practices and that we understand what innovations are happening in that space. And of course, we had a ton of people sign on to our brief to the Supreme Court when we were asking that they allow us to continue to allow racial categories to be considered in the admissions process. But there are lots of ways that we work with other organizations in that space. You know, Steve, as you're looking forward in terms of you know new innovations that carry the organization forward for the overall goals, certainly for equity, of course, but also for, maybe for lack of a better phrase, a more functional workforce that matches what patients actually need. What are you most excited about? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think what I'm most excited about is that we get better and better at broadening the set of competencies we understand are necessary to being a good physician, and that we get better and better at assessing them and tying them to outcomes so that we can know that whatever assessments we're using are actually predicting the things that we want to see in the future. So I appreciate your question about what we're excited about, even in the midst of these difficulties. And, you know, we're excited to take on the challenge of building equity into each step in each stage of the continuum of medical education. We're also trying to get better at outreach and at reaching earlier in the continuum, because as you know, a lot happens before people in elementary school, much less middle school and high school. And so we have to make sure that we're reaching as far down that continuum as possible to get people the information they need, the support they need, so that they can make a choice to go to medical school when the time comes. And then, of course, when they want to go to medical school, that we're there to try and help and support them. I was going to ask you a question. If there were one thing you would want to tell a potential patient about the future of the physician workforce from the point of view of the folks responsible for selecting, I actually, maybe that's a seed for a future conversation. Maybe more poignantly, what would you want to tell a high schooler from an underrepresented minority group about the future of or at least their potential, I guess, for being evaluated for a role in medical school if they wanted to do that? We have a space for them. They can help us. They can inform what we all are, what our culture is, what our education is, and what the systems of the future are, and that we are there to try and support them. And, and what our job is, and what we are trying to show all the time, is we need to show them themselves in that future, because that's an important thing mm-hmm. we've learned from every student whether they're selecting mentors, whether they're determining where they want to go to medical school, what career they want, that you have to be able to see yourself in that future. And our responsibility is to help them see themselves in those futures. And if there's anybody who hears your podcast and 
isn't sold on the importance of diversity to health outcomes. You know, it asks that they take a closer look, that they open their minds up, get a little curious, and try to dig into these details because the line is pretty clear. And this is something that we have to achieve for the good of all patients in this country. Sounds like a good place to hold until our next conversation, Steve. But thank you so much for taking the time and for what you're doing to get to this super important outcome and probably more challenging times than usual. It's already a hard enough problem, but thanks for what you're doing. That sounds great. Thanks so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. If you have comments for future podcasts, please leave comments and wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks for listening. (laughs) 